0: We are in the, the minor prophets of the Old Testament. Uh, uh, the, we've been through several of them, and today is, is uh, the book of Haggai. So, Beth, just uh, go ahead and put that next slide up, or leave that one there until after we finish all the words, okay? Uh, so I'm not going to give you the answers until after we go through them. All right, so let's, uh, I've given you a word for every um, minor prophet we, we go through. So that'll just maybe trigger a memory of what that's about, because they all kind of sometimes they feel like they're all the same, but they're not. Uh, and so the word can kind of help you remember a little bit about it. So what was the word for Joel? Okay. What was the word for Micah? Nope. Restoration. Restoration. Okay. I I got them out of order. See. See. All right. Don't remember the order. Remember the book. Okay. <laughs> Obadiah. Petra. Petra. Okay, that wasn't Petra. Uh, Nahum. <laughs> nah- Nahum. Nope, we already did that. What was Micah? It was Dean. D-I-Y-N, which means God's wrath. Okay. Uh, and the last one from from last week, Habakkuk, Watchtower. Okay, so let's put them Go to the next one. All right, there, there you go. So you, you got to know the the book and and the word, not the order. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on to uh, to our new one, uh, Haggai. Uh, every year from from June to November here in North Carolina, we go about our life, uh, but in the back of our minds during that time. Uh, we are aware of a, a looming threat that could hit us at any time uh, as we watch the Weather Channel and just see what's coming off the coast of Africa, right? Uh, the the NHL team that is in Raleigh, they're not called the Hurricanes for nothing. Uh, you know, hurricanes are always a potential threat to us here in North Carolina, uh, as our coast just juts right out there into the, ocean, to the Atlantic Ocean, and it's just it's saying, come hit me, come hit me. Um, and although we've had, had a couple of hurricanes uh, hit landfall in Florida this year, uh, that has given us a little bit of grief with some rain and wind as it moved up the coast, like Nicole this past weekend. Uh, thankfully, it looks like, knock wood, uh, that we may escape any kind of direct hit this year. But we, those of us who have lived here for very long, we know what it's like to get hit directly. Um, You know, in reality, there are very few places in our world where natural disasters are completely avoided. There's hardly any place you can go, well, I'm going to move there because they never have natural disasters. You know, between hurricanes, earthquakes, volcanoes, tornadoes, blizzards, tsunamis, just severe thunderstorms. um, You know, most locations on earth have some level of fear, from the potential of uh, the des- destruction that can come from a natural disaster. I think most of us have experienced, uh, at, if you've lived in North Carolina long, uh, we've experienced at least one of these uh, types of disasters before. If not a hurricane, then tornadoes. You know, we, we've had, every now and then we'll have a bad tornado come through the Wilson area. Um, um, and, and if we, we have experienced uh, any of those types of disasters, we also know what happens after the disaster is over, right? Uh, when the tornado or the hurricane has passed by, we know what happens then. The rain stops, the wind ceases, we open our doors and we step outside. Uh, and, and what do we do next as we step outside of our homes? Um, we walk around, we assess the damage that has happened we check on our neighbors we see uh, what they need how we might be able to help them Um, what supplies food water is needed Um, what trees need to remove be removed from on top of someone's house what roofs need to be repaired we assess we and then we start to rebuild and to recover you know over the last several weeks we've been glancing at a number of prophets Uh, who've been preaching messages of warning, doom that's coming uh, their way. Uh, They're they're sort of like our weather forecasters uh, today. They see a disaster approaching because God tells them there's this disaster that's coming your way. uh, And they try to get the people prepared for it uh, before it comes. But today, rather than warning of an approaching danger that's on its way, um, Haggai is speaking on the other side of the disaster, after the disaster has already come. In fact, uh, on the other side of maybe the worst disaster that Israel had ever faced. We talked about it last week, as Habakkuk warned of this disaster coming, uh, and the, the disaster was Babylon. Babylon is coming, Habakkuk told them, and, uh, and he's, he, they're going to wreak havoc on you. Um, so Haggai is, is, is speaking, all right, that's happened. We're on the other side of it now. You know, in 536 BC, Babylon came in and destroyed the nation of Israel. They scattered the people around the Babylonian empire, uh, and we call that, uh, that period the exile period. One of the best ways you to ruin a nation is to spread them out and integrate them in other regions until basically they disappear. They get just so thinned and, and uh, diluted that they just kind of cease to exist. Well, well, during this exile period, uh, we, we find that Babylon, who was the disaster that came in and destroyed Israel and captured them, Babylon itself falls to another uh, enemy uh, the third major empire that we talked about uh last week that that ruled part of the world during the old testament period what was the third major empire persia so it was assyria babylon and persia persia conquers babylon and now the the, the israelites captivity is transferred from the babylonians to the persians well during that time persia makes an amazing decision probably a miraculous decision prompted by god Uh, they decided to release many of the exiled israelites and allow them to go back to their homeland some of those people had not been back to their homeland to jerusalem and to palestine for decades others had been born in captivity They'd never been to their homeland, their ancestral homeland. So I mean, I'm imagining the Jewish people finally arriving back in Jerusalem. What did they find when they got there? They found what was left after the destruction, after the disastrous storm of Babylon, had, as they had completely destroyed the holy city of Jerusalem. It's been 70 years since that storm came through, and nothing has been done to recover. <clears throat> it's been 70 years since the temple was completely destroyed, 70 years since their homes and farms had been destroyed. Well, what do you do when you when you find your homeland in this condition? Well, there's only one thing you can do. You could, Well, there's two. You can sit and cry and, and moan about it, but... But that's not going to do any good. The only helpful thing to do is to do what we do when we have a hurricane, right? To assess the damage and rebuild. That's what you do. Well, Haggai is a minor prophet with a different message than than some of the other prophets. You know, we might compare Haggai to Moses in that uh, both of those guys, they they share God's message when it's a time to build, It's a time to build. Moses uh, gives the the direction of God to the nation as they initially begin to build, in his case, the tabernacle, a place of worship. Haggai uh, is now about to help build or rebuild the temple. And so the word of the day for Haggai is this, build, build. Israel needs God's direction after the storm of, the, of Babylonian exile. Uh, they need God's word to direct them as they literally rebuild their nation. So let's see what major lesson that this minor prophet Haggai has for us today. Verse 1 does a great job of sort of giving us a reference point. Some, some of these minor prophet books, it's hard to figure out exactly when in, in Israelite history it took place because there's not enough information there uh, to nail it. So you, can, you have to sort of guess and there's questions, but not in Haggai. We know exactly when this situation happened. We see there in chapter 1 um, that it's the second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia. Uh, We see that uh, Zerubbabel is the governor of Judah, uh, the southern nation of Judah. He's the the governor there. He's the grandson of the last king of Judah. Joshua is is the name of the high priest that is serving at that time. So we know the leadership and we know the time frame that this is taking place in history. So what's the central message of Haggai? It's building or building. Build. Let's look at chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. Haggai 1, 2 through 4. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled house houses while this house, the temple, remains in ruin? You know, the temple had been completely destroyed uh, during the Babylonian Empire uh, invasion. Um, this beautiful temple that Solomon built uh, was completely ransacked. All the gold and treasures were taken off to Babylon. And then the building itself was just completely destroyed. Um, it, it was an, another way for Babylon to, to strip the Israelites of their identity by attempting to destroy their worship, their religion. And The first time we see the house of the Lord, Solomon's temple, uh, was back in the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament. You might remember reading through those books and the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, after the Israelites had escaped Egyptian slavery, the, the Jewish nation, because they had sinned against the Against God, they were wandering in the desert for forty years. Uh, but but God, during that time, told Moses, who was their leader, uh, that that they, that they needed to build a house for him, for God. Um, but in this case, it was a tent. They needed to build a tent, or we call it a ta- The Bible calls it a tabernacle. That's tent. Since they were a transit nation at that time, they were constantly moving and on the go. Um, the the house of God needed to be movable, so it was a portable house of God. God called them to build this house of the Lord, and, and then they were to worship at this tabernacle because that's where his presence would be. Okay, let's fast forward a few years. They eventually, after the 40 years, were able to go into the promised land that they had been, been promised by God. And there they plant roots, they set up their nation in the promised land. Uh, and during that time, they, they see that they no longer need the house of the Lord to be a tent. It, does, it no longer needs to be portable. Uh, it can be per- permanent. So it's time to build a permanent house of God from tabernacle to temple. So David decided It's time to build the permanent version. Let's look in 2 Samuel 7, verse 1 and 2. After the king was settled in his palace, the king being David, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. The ark was the, the, the chest where the presence of the seed of God was symbolized by that was in a tent. It needed to be in a permanent, wonderful place. The, the story of Haggai is, is going to have a, a similar feeling to this one uh, of David. You know David had been building his nation, uh, or the nation of Israel, uh, building its infrastructure, building the buildings, the army that would make up the, the great nation of Israel during his reign. And as he's building the nation, uh, he realized, you know what? i'm sitting here in this amazing beautiful palace that i've built for myself uh but god's house is in a tent uh and so it was long overdue david felt to build god a beautiful permanent place to dwell so they started building the the temple uh and solomon his son david's son completed it he finished Uh, The temple, and it became this beautiful, majestic home for the presence of God. Um, And ever since then, the temple, Solomon's temple, we often call it because he built it, um, stood as a beacon of Israel's connection to God. Now, let's get back to our story with Haggai. Uh, The temple now that Solomon built is in shambles. It's completely destroyed. So when the Jewish remnant returns to Jerusalem, um, that's what they re- re- they've returned to, basically a pile of rubble that used to be the house of God. It used to be the temple. And so they start to try to rebuild their nation as they arrive back home. Uh, they try to get some traction on this recovery from the storm of Babylon uh, that they had been through. But they seem to, as they keep trying to get traction in rebuilding their nation, they're just spinning their wheels, and they're not getting anywhere. Uh, They're struggling to get everything up and running again when they return home. Uh, There's a drought that hits them. Uh, Nothing in the fields is growing. Uh, And so this victorious reentry is turning into a big mess. Not successful at all so far. Listen to Haggai. Haggai 1, 7 through 11. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Why? declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands." Haggai is is preaching, Um, you know, we've we've got this new beginning here uh, from our exile. And and if we're going to do this right, he's trying to help them understand God's got to come first. God must come first. Um, Now, does God need a house? Does he need a, a brick and mortar building to live in? You know, what's the big deal about the temple? Because they they started on their own stuff before they worried about building God's house. You know, the, the temple is just stone and mortar and wood, right? Uh, what's the big deal? Uh, why make this an issue? Uh, is it important, this temple brick and mortar building for God? Well, yes and no. <laughs> uh, does, does, does God need it? Well, he doesn't need it literally to live in because he lives in heaven. Um, But building the temple, or or in this case, not building the temple, which is where they were at this point, um, it was less about the structure and more, more about a symptom about the people's priorities. The fact that they weren't building the temple was showing what was important to them and what wasn't important to them. You ever uh, watched a horse race on, uh, on, on television, or maybe some of you have been to a horse race before, and, and every now and then there'll be a horse that when the gates are open, he, he stumbles out of the, 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 the starting gate, you know, and everybody's got high hopes that he can have success in the race, but before he even gets started, he stumbles and falls, and then the race is lost for him. Um, or maybe a person who's running in a foot race and he's got his feet in the blocks and the gun goes off. And before he can even get started, he trips and he falls before he even gets going. You know, you know that's what this, this remnant is in danger of doing. They have this, this wonderful opportunity that God has given them to start their nation all over again after this exile. It's just beginning. It's just beginning and, and as they start off, they face plant, boom, <laughs> right off the, uh, off the, the blocks. And, and Hag, Haggai is, is trying to tell them, stop what you're doing, stop what you're doing. If we're going to do this right, we can't start like this, the way you're beginning. Basically, they had gone into recovery mode with one thing in mind, their own agenda, what they wanted um, you know, I need to build my house, they were saying, my house first. Uh, I need to get my family and my affairs in order. Uh, we need to get our kingdom built, all the infrastructure. Meanwhile, they were ignoring the most important foundational building block of their nation, symbolized, symbolized by the temple of God. And it lay in ruins. And they weren't doing anything to rebuild it. You know, sometimes we just need a really good object lesson to show us a message so that we can see it with our eyes, something we can touch. And this was definitely something they could see and touch, something that can wake us up. This is like the the object lesson of all object lessons for the Israelites. Um, You are building your life, Israel, around you. Don't start like that. Don't start like that. Let's regroup, Haggai is saying, with God's message. Let's regroup, and let's start this all over again. Verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jazadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. You know, sometimes when we read through the Old Testament, we think those crazy Israelites, they, they never listen. They never listen. Well, this time they did. This time they did listen to the prophet's message. Zerubbabel, the governor, and the high priest, they were convicted by what Haggai told them, and they were moved by God's spirit. They heard Haggai's message from God, and they stopped and changed directions. They changed directions. And that's chapter 1, trying to get their attention to, to stop and start all over again with their priorities. Um, that's chapter 2. One, But there's two chapters, one of the shorter books of the Minor Prophets. Let's see what Haggai has left for the Israelites in this short message. Uh, it's been a number of months since they have started back and trying to work on the temple. They've, they've been rebuilding the temple that, uh, that Haggai had told them to do. And Haggai comes back with another message for them. Um, they're, they're looking at the new t- temple. So you can just imagine... Uh, Zerubbabel and and Joshua and maybe some of the other people they're standing back at at what they've done so far and they're looking at this new temple that they're rebuilding and Haggai says this chapter two verse three who of you is left who saw the house of the uh, in its former glory in other words David's or Solomon's old temple how many of you are here and you remember what that looked like how does it look to you now as you stand and admire your work so far. And then he says, does it not seem to you like nothing <laughs> compared to Solomon's temple? And you might think, maybe, you were, maybe they were proud of Oh, that looks pretty good. That looks pretty good. And he tells them that and it's like, ooh, ouch. That's kind of harsh. And, and maybe their response was, hey, look, we didn't have all the money and the wealth that Solomon had. We're just doing the best we can with what, what little we have. But as you think about that, we need, to, we need to wait and realize that the point is not that Haggai is, is complaining about how it looks and criticizing them for how it looks. Uh, in fact, the fact that it is, is not as glorious as Solomon's temple is really not a problem at all. Uh, it's, actually, it's actually what Haggai was trying to make a point with um, to, to, to show that, hey, as you begin your new life in Israel, you understand you're not as strong as you were then. You're much weaker than you were then. Um, and it was illustrated by this new temple. It just wasn't as majestic. But that's not a problem. That's not a problem. He just wanted to point out, you're, you're weaker than you were then. And then he goes on in verse, four, chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Uh, Josadak, the high priest be strong all you people of the land declares the lord and work for i am with you declares the lord almighty this is what i covenanted with you when you came out of egypt and my spirit remains among you do not fear do not fear You know, the same message was given to Abraham, to Moses, to Joshua, to David, to everyone in between. Now to this remnant as they return back to their homeland. Guys, as you look at this temple and you're doing the best you can with what you got, have courage, have courage. Do not be afraid. I am with you. I am with you. A couple of months later, another message from God through Haggai. Verse 11 and 13 through 13. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? So you got some consecrated meat that was blessed by the priest, say, and you touch something else with that meat, does that something else become consecrated like the meat was or blessed? The priest answered, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Just because this consecrated thing touches something doesn't make it uh, consecrated. Then Haggai said, now if a person defiled by something like contact with a dead body um, touches one of these things bread or wine or olive oil or other food does then that become defiled and the priests say yes it becomes defiled so uh, another lesson from the leaders of this young recovery um, using now the law of moses the old testament law of moses to illustrate a point that god is trying to make through the prophet haggai you know, the law was very specific about spiritual cleanliness. It, it, was, very, it was very important that, that when you're in the presence of God that you be spiritually, ceremonially clean, free from defilement. And so, you know, you would go through a process of, of uh, staying clean. One of the things you would do is you would refrain from doing certain activities or touching certain things, like a dead body. If you touched a dead body, you became spiritually clean defiled or unclean, and so you would have to go through a ritual to get clean clean again. Uh, so this was very important to the Jews during that time period. So the question is, if something is clean, let's say it's spiritually clean, and then it touches something else, that spiritually thing, clean thing touches something else, does that thing, uh, the cleanliness, get passed to Uh, or transferred to whatever it touches? And the answer was, according to the, the Levitical law, the Old Testament law was no, it doesn't become clean. Touching a holy man's hand or garment doesn't make something clean. Now you flip that, flip that. If something or someone defiled or unclean, like someone who has touched a dead body, um, Spiritually unclean, if they touch something else, does his uncleanliness transfer to whatever he touches? And the Levitical law says, yes, the uncleanliness does pass to whatever it touches. Now, we don't need to get caught up in all the mechanics about what well, doesn't make any sense or, or, or why is this clean and that unclean. Let's not get caught up in the mechanics of it. Let's just follow the point that God is trying to make through Haggai. Cleanliness is not passed on through a simple touch. However, defilement transfers with relative ease to the next thing. So, for example, if, if I go and I wash my hands... And then I shake your dirty hand, that doesn't make your dirty hand clean, does it? No. Uh, but if I have dirty hands and I shake your clean hand, then that can make your clean hand dirty. I'm passing on my germs to you. Um, the point is that Haggai's trying to make here is this uh, uh, it's a warning. For them going forward from this point in their history, as they're trying to rebuild their nation, as they're rebuilding God's temple and trying to put him first in their lives, uh, this is the point of them going forward. There are consequences when we put our hands to work, and if our hands get dirty during that process, or if we become defiled, there are consequences going forward. From that, of getting other things dirty or defiled. Verse 15 through 17. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. As we're moving forward, from this day on, think about this. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. Remember how they were. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. 10. This was before you guys started putting God first. You'd go to get 20 measures, and you only got 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. Not as much as you hoped. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. This is the way it was before, before you guys were trying to get your priorities in order. He reminds them of how they stumbled off the blocks and were trying to put themselves first rather than God. The remnant came back, and, and they paid little attention to faith, to God, to worship. And as a result, God said that he struck their work with failure. They were not going to find success because they weren't putting God first in their life. If that was the plan for building their new life by just thinking about themselves and not thinking about God, they weren't going to be successful. In chapter 1, it said, it said that you have planted much, but you harvested little. You, you eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse that has holes in it. <laughs> you know, that formula that they were living before they started putting God first in their life made for, really, an unpleasant life, an unpleasant life. Not enough to eat, not enough to, clothes to wear, not enough money to, that they needed. Uh, and, and, and the point he's trying to make here is if you were to return to that the way you were before we, we started getting our priorities in order, if you return to that, um, a life that is apathetic to God, to his ways, to his worship. Um, That could be called a defiled life. It was defiled before, and if you return to that, you'll be defiled again. You will be building this nation back with unclean hands. And what happens when those defiled hands are the hands that build this nation back again? What happens when defiled hands try to build a nation? It gets transferred to the next generation the defilement gets transferred to the next generation and that's what happened in that what's happening to our country today you go back 50 years ago and most people worshiped God and believed in God and a lot of people went to church or at least they thought they should be going to church uh uh, they 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 tried to do their best to serve God but little by little the defilement has been passed on from generation to to generation. And, and, as, and for each generation, we get farther and farther and farther away from God. Defiled hands uh, uh, corrupt and is transferred to the next generation. And so Haggai is warning them against this. Verse 18 and 19. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day of... When the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. I will bless you. Give careful thought to this, Haggai says, until now. You were struggling before we, before we got our priorities straight, you were struggling. But now that you've listened, now that you've got your priorities in order, now that you've cleaned up, uh, your, what you put first in your life, now you've got to focus on me. Uh, you've rebuilt this temple. Uh, you, you, you rebuilt your life with God as your foundation. Now you got it. Now you got it right. Now you're on the right track. Uh, and now because you're on the right track i will bless you i will bless you that's the formula for success putting god first in your life what does new, new testament say say in matthew seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things the the things that you need to live a life will be given to you um now, when I say success, I'm not talking about worldly success. I'm not saying, if you live your life right, God will make you rich. You know, that some people teach that, but that's not what God is saying. Um, uh, God's, God, we don't get rich because we behave a certain way. Um, just behave this way, you'll get all the money you need. No, that's not the message that God has ever given us. But when you build your life in such a way where God comes first, now, it may not be money that you receive as the blessing, but it'll be peace in your life. When, when you eat, you'll be satisfied. When you work, you'll be content. When you drink, you'll be filled. Maybe you, you, you might get wealthy. <laughs> Some people do because they're being faithful to God, but that's not the goal of putting God first in your life is to get rich. That's not the goal. The goal of putting God first in your life is a fulfilled life. The goal is contentment with whatever God blesses us with as we build our life around him. So here's what we take home from the message of Haggai, the major lesson from this minor prophet. Two things. Stop building your life for yourself. Start building your life upon the Lord. Stop building your life for yourself. Start building your life for the Lord. You, you might look at your, your life the same way that you look as they looked at that new temple. And, and you might say, well, you know, my life's not as good as that person's life. You know, they're so much more righteous than me and, and talented than me. And, so, and and you look at theirs and compare, and you think, well, I'm, I'm not the kind of Christian that I need to be. So, And God is saying, you know, don't worry about other people. Don't worry about their life. Just worry about your own life. Uh, with your life, uh, all you need to know, I'm with you no matter who you are. Not compared to somebody else. I'm with you. This is what he promised them when he rescued them from Egypt, when he rescued them from Babylon, and as a result, uh, he honored his promise to bless all mankind when Jesus was given to us. God doesn't use a temple made of brick and mortar anymore for his presence. We don't have to go to Jerusalem, thank goodness, even though it's a, kind of a fun place to go, I hear. Uh, we don't have to go there to find God or to worship him anymore anymore. Because when Jesus died and when he rose from the grave, uh, he, he decided to give the Holy Spirit to every person who calls on the name of Jesus. And when we're baptized in the name of Jesus, we're told that the Spirit of God comes and lives in us. And guess what? Wherever the Spirit of God lives, that's the temple of God. And so you and I as Christians are now the temple of God wherever we go, whatever we're doing. Wherever we go, God is with us. And so because of that, we can be strong and we can be courageous, for God is with us. But sometimes, whether it's right right out of the gate or as we're just getting started on our Christian life, or maybe we've been a Christian for a while, but we slip and we fall, and we wander away off the path, um, and we begin to prioritize ourselves rather than Him. We probably have all been there before, even as Christians. Um, you know, that that can lead us to ruin <laughs> uh, if we don't get the priority back in its proper place. And when we don't put God first in our lives, and if we wander off the path, we become defiled. And whatever we touch becomes defiled too. The next generation especially. It's so important that we regularly maintain our commitment to make God number one in our lives. This message from Haggai is as old as time itself, but it is as relevant today as it ever has been in history. And it's this, build your life upon God. Build your life upon God. Father, I thank you so much for the message of Haggai. I thank you for the message that we that we get from um, these people who had returned back to their homeland and they just needed some guidance. And because they were humans, they did what we all do as humans, they were selfish. We're all that way. And we all our knee jerk is to put ourselves first. But Haggai and through you and his message helped them see. We don't need to put ourselves first we need to put you first God and then when we put you first we're blessed when we don't put you first Lord we're not blessed life can be miserable when we don't put you first but when we do put you first maybe we won't be rich and and sometimes the 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 the, the things of this world can still hurt us but at least we can be content at least we can have peace at least we can have the hope of eternal life through your son Jesus no matter what And that's only when we build our life upon you. So, Lord, help us all to get our priorities straight and build our life upon you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.